It's the Andy Thompson Show on ESPN 97.7. Porthole. Porch, 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 porch. The conversation of offensive coordinators who have to be fired starts with Aaron Roderick. Mm. Roderick, the OC at BYU, otherwise known as A-Rod, has done something dumbfounding. While the adjustment to the Big 12 has led to a good portion of wins at 5-4, and four, the offense could not be more pitiful. They're the only team in this league that doesn't have 3,000 combined yards of offense. All right, Larry. That was uh, locked on Big 12 calling for the firing of Aaron Roderick. We talked about firing Daryl Funk yesterday. What about the OC? I think we've got Caleb in today who's reading the questions, right, Larry? Yes. All right, go ahead, Caleb. All right, Sporty. Should A-Rod be let go by BYU at season's end or even right now? Scapegoat firing if it's A-Rod. I'm cool if you do it to Funk, the offensive line coach. A-Rod is the scientist who's up in the clouds, right, who's edicting to the players on the field what to do. He's the X's and O's guy. He's the guy to work with the quarterbacks and all that stuff. That's a scapegoat fire if you fire Roderick, even at the season's end. Because in order to do that, you have to disqualify what he did in 2020, which is fine. You could say the COVID year, and they played nobody. They played the schools of the deaf and the blind, and they played Wagner, and they couldn't beat uh, Coastal Carolina. That's fine. We all make fun of that schedule for BYU and how they played nobody and got fat on on teams, but you also got to give Homo and BYU credit for even playing those games because all the Pac-12 schools were in the fetal position, sucking their thumbs, afraid of COVID. So I don't, I don't wipe that season away, Larry. Heavens, no, good for BYU. 2021, they win 10 games. They win, they go five and zero in the Pac-12 South, Larry. They beat USC. They beat Utah. That's Roderick. He's getting two guys to the NFL. So in a season where you're expecting, and once again, it comes back to expectations with BYU. You were expecting to win five games. Six games was a grand slam, and now you're calling for the head of Aaron, Rod- uh, Aaron Roderick to be, to be canned. And my point is, he's the scientist, geek, film geek guy up in the press box. The problems that BYU is having is with the ground forces, the culture, the motivation. That's why I'm fine if you get rid of Funk even midseason. The issues they're having are on the ground. An offensive line who doesn't want to block, who can't run block, is devastating to the entire team. There, it's going to be the first time. If they don't get to 1,000 rushing yards as a team this year, it's going to be the first time they haven't done that since, like, 1946. They're the worst run game team in the conference. One of the worst in the country. They're the second worst pass passing team in the conference. So it's a rough year for BYU, no doubt about it. But I think blaming it on Roderick, who's had a ton of success, a play caller... The core issue with BYU isn't the plays being called. It's 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 the match. It was it, it's the what am I trying to say, Larry? It's the meat and potatoes of the team that's the problem. Now the people who are calling for his head will say, "Look, our defense was one of the worst in the country last year. Ninety whatever ranking total defense last year in 2022. We made a change, and it's instantly gotten better, right?" 75th now in total defense in the country. If you look at stop rate, it's even better than that. And if you look at it before West Virginia, their stop rate was top 40 in the country, BYU's was. You got a new coach. He brought in a bunch of new players in the transfer portal, FCS guys, group of five guys. 
and it instantly made an impact. Now, they still aren't great. They're not sacking the quarterback. They're not getting in the backfield. But there has been a clear improvement, and people look at that defense and any issues that they're having and are saying, look, Jay Hill, his hands are tied with the personnel. It's a personnel issue. It's not a Jay Hill issue, whereas in the previous years, it was always the the scheme, right? Dropping eight, playing umbrella. That was the problem for a lot of people. So you say, look, defense had problems. We brought in a new guy, instantly got better. We can do the same thing for offense. I'm I'm fine with that. I just think that Roderick is a, if he goes, that's a true scapegoat. That's a guy who the meat and potato problems of this BYU team this year aren't on his head. You see the interchangeability of Slovis and Retzloff? Doesn't matter the quarterback. When you can't run, when you don't have time, you're screwed. And I think it's a, it's, I think it's a culture problem that once again, Coach Satake has got to be responsible for. He was desperate last year to make changes on the defense. I mean, giving up forty-two to Liberty, giving up fifty-six to Arkansas, giving up forty-something to somebody else last year, Oregon. Horrible defense. Satake was urgent about making a change because his butt was on the line and it paid off on defense. Will he have the same urgency to get rid of Roderick this year? Absolutely atrocious run game. But I don't think I don't think you can pin that on the play caller. So the Big 12, locked on Big 12 guy who I like a lot, Larry, is calling for Roderick's head. I disagree. Scapegoat Funk first. Scapegoat him now. It's fine. Mid-season, BYU will never do it, but they should. Scapegoat somebody, stir something up in the locker room and make a change. Not Roderick, though. Do you throw out Roderick's Jaron Hall year where he wins 10 games and beats Utah and, you know, for the first time in a decade and beats all these Pac-12 teams, um, loses to Baylor that year in a close, played everybody close. I don't know that you could do that this soon, especially in a transition year where your ex- expectations weren't super high to begin with. I think that's unfair to Roderick. Whose offense I have liked in the last couple years. I've liked the the rollouts. I've liked the play actions. I've liked all that stuff. The problem is when you can't run the ball, a lot of that stuff doesn't work. He just doesn't do the typical, especially with a guy like Jaron Hall or Retzloff, he just doesn't do the typical, you know, zone reads, spread them out, only bubbles and hook option routes and throwing. He he's wheeling out. He's rolling out bootlegs, throwing to the tight ends and stuff. Isaac Rex has had a, a pretty good year this year, stayed healthy and all that stuff. So I would say more tight end usage, but everything fall you know everything goes to crap if you can't run the ball and they can't. I don't blame him for that though. You agree with me, Larry? No. All right. Next topic, my friend. What do we got? Don't fire A-Rod. That's a joke. Do you likey? All right, let's see. Do I likey? The Biden administration is hearing the pleas uh, for NCAA changes, namely that the players should be officially recognized as employees, be able to unionize, etc. I talked about this at the top of the show. 
this has always been ridiculous to me that the players want to be considered employees. I don't think they are employees. I thought they got plenty of crap when before the NIL with the tuition and stipends and free everything to go play football or basketball or whatever they're going to do. But fine. The NIL is open. It's it's wild, wild west. You know, people are getting millions of dollars. Guys like Jaden Rashada offered $11 million, falls apart. You know, there's no regulation or any of that stuff. So what they're looking to do is bring regulation a little bit to college sports. Now, this is what the players want, right? This is what the O'Bannons want. What's going to maybe happen, Larry, is unintended consequences for the players that they weren't expecting, which is if you are determined to be employees, that means you've got to sign a contract. The school now will have the leverage to enforce a non-compete, just like they did a couple years ago, where you want to transfer, you want to go play for another employer, you've got to sit out a year, right? That could come back. Also, a standardized hourly wage could be enforced, meaning, okay, Caleb Williams, you're making a million this year, and the second string special teamer is making nothing. We're going to fix that. You're each going to make $25 an hour. So the players who are enjoying this crazy boom of NIL money just blowing all over the place and getting rich You know, Shadur Sanders making millions. He's in no hurry to go to the NFL draft. Heck, Cam Rising, Quinn Ewers, these big-name quarterbacks and others. Enjoy it now. Because once you are officially deemed to be employees and the regulation comes back, the amount of money that's going to be coming to you is going to be more regulated and enforced by the institutions. And they might say, the University of Oklahoma might say, look, now that we're paying you 25 bucks an hour and your employees and we, you know you can only work a certain amount of hours which is already kind of a thing or, or whatever else we're paying you we don't want you going and using our brand and making money on outside nil deals you're leveraging your relationship with us the only reason they're paying you is because you're the oklahoma quarterback or defensive end we don't want you to do that anymore and now that we're paying you, we have moral ground to stand on to limit NIL infiltration of our programs and the arms race of getting collectives to pay these players millions of dollars. So if it goes this way, there's some downside for players potentially. And I, I wouldn't mind if it did go this way. Because of what, what a joke the NIL and the portal have become. I would, I would prefer it to go to a hourly rate for the players, but the non-compete is now in effect. You can't just jump around from school to school anymore. you got to have a contract. You're committed to this program. If you do want to transfer, you got to sit out a year. I would be fine with that. Now, we would miss some of the silver lining stuff that I always talk about, about the NIL and what it's done, but more specifically, I guess the transfer portal, meaning talent has been more evenly distributed around college football. Everybody's got a quarterback now. The third string quarterback at Alabama who used to be locked down is now playing for another team. So the games are more fun. A little bit more competitive. The monopolies have been broken up. Like Bama, like Clemson. So that's a silver lining that might go away if what happens is what I'm saying might happen. But the players who are calling for this are going to lose if it does happen. 
and guys like Caleb Williams, who are you know making tons of money, and some of these other guys, we'll look back on that this era, hopefully, like we do the the tech boom when all these websites were making billions of dollars in the early 2000s, like Ask Jeeves or whatever. Uh, how silly that was. So I hope that happens. Here's uh, Seth Emerson from The Athletic. The Biden administration is ready to wade into the debate about the economic rights of college athletes. The White House will hold an event on Wednesday, today, with former college football players, including Andrew Luck, to discuss revenue sharing, safety standards, and athletes having a voice in decisions, according to a White House official. The White House has remained on the sidelines as the NCAA and its member conferences have lobbied Congress for legislation on several topics that range from regulating the name, image, and likeness marketplace to athletes' employee status. The NCAA and its conferences have asked Congress to prevent athletes from being recognized as employees amid mounting legal challenges to the contrary, but the Biden White House had been silent on what it thought about any of these bills. So maybe that'll change after the hearing today. I don't know. If you want to be employees, you can be employees, but there's some negative stuff that comes with that that you might not want to deal with. You're free as a bird right now. The open market is just... You, you can do anything. You can make as much money. The sky is your limit. Once you bring in employee status and regulations and everybody's got to get paid under the umbrella of the school, that might that might ruin all the fun you're having with the millions of dollars and driving Bentleys and stuff like that. We'll see what happens. Larry, do you get... You don't get any NIL money. No. You don't get any money. No. Yeah. All right, next topic. What do you got? The sport hall. Butch, 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 butch. He's got to go. Four to shoot. Out to Horton. Three. It's good. Raekwon Horton's first points of the night. Oh, my goodness. And a three gives the Dukes a two-possession lead. How would you fix the college basketball regular season sporty? Ooh, that's a big challenge. Uh, that sound was uh, James Madison beating Izzo and the boys last night in dramatic fashion. Love to see it. James Madison is disqualified from postseason playing both football and basketball, which is the dumbest rule in the NCAA. If you're good enough right off the bat to win your conference or to win your conference tournament or to go to the playoff in football at the FCS level or FBS level, why do, you, why do we make it h- harder on these teams that are making the jump? It's already impossible. It's already impossible to jump up, especially if you're jumping up a whole level, to be competitive, to get players to come there in your transition phase who know they're not going to have a chance at the postseason for at least a couple years. It's the dumbest rule ever, especially at levels where there's not a ton of money being generated to split up between the member schools with the postseason tournaments can understand an established conference who adds a school at the FBS level and there's bowls or there's a conference tournament or something and there's millions of dollars and they don't want to share it, split it up quite yet with a team that is just getting to that level and hasn't contributed to the brand, fine. But if it's an FCS level or a low mid-major level, give me a break. Just let them play. It's the dumbest thing ever in college sports, Larry. Drives me crazy. Jam, you suffering from that. Um, it's hard to, to fix. The, the problem that the college basketball has is that their postseason is the greatest postseason in, in sports. It's the greatest postseason in, in any sport, including the NFL playoffs 
including uh, the Major League Baseball playoffs, definitely the NBA playoffs, hockey. March Madness is the best thing possible. And because it is so inclusive and there's 68 teams that make it, of course, the regular season is going to be diminished. So what I would do differently to save the regular season in college basketball, you've got 360-some teams, right, at the D1 level. You have to figure out a way before the conference schedule starts to get something that excites people that gets you in the headlines, that gets people to pay attention. You get them early, and then you've got them more throughout the regular season. The interest will be there more throughout the regular season. You say, well, what about the Maui tournament or the Atlantis tournament or whatever, the four teams or whatever it is? That's not enough. So what I would do if I was the NCAA, who's got to cling to March Madness, Larry, because... I'll get to that, but it's a scary future, potentially, even for the NCAA tournament, if TV networks and the power conferences start waging war on the NCAA and the NCAA tournament and want more power over who gets included in the tournament. But here's what I would do. I would say, look, we can't compete with the NFL or college football. We know this. But there is a big vacancy from about December 4th when the conference championships end in college football to about December 16th to when the stupid bowl games start in college football. That's a two-week span. During that time, we need to have an in-season tournament that includes automatic bids, meaning you win it, you get a bid to the NCAA tournament. In December, And maybe you do a gimmick or something like that where it's like, hey, every state, whoever your top RPI team is at that point in the season gets a bid. So a 50-team tournament, you buy it down to a 32-team clean bracket after the first round, and then you play it out, and the winner of that tournament gets an auto bid. Huh? You like that, Larry? Yes. And you do it December... 5th, and you get it done by December 15th, and you own that part of the schedule. December, kids are getting out of school, people's work is winding down, getting ready for the holidays, there's no college football yet, you don't you don't match it up with the uh, NFL, you play on non-NFL days, and you have a big in-season tournament, you have some vision, you get some excitement, and you get some guys qualified. Now, What teams would be added? I I have my state idea, but you could do a full 64. You could just do a 32 and do a couple of them maybe and get two auto bids. The tournament single limb format is the best thing possible. And college college basketball does it better than anybody else. Well, you got to wait till March. So you don't care till March. If you do it earlier in December, you get people passionate and involved in a tournament format when they're bored before the college football play before the NFL playoffs do it i think i think that would be a awesome way to generate revenue and excitement in the regular season and save the regular season then you still have your conference tournaments that completely wipe out the meaningfulness of the regular season for the big conferences which is a complete joke but i do something like that now dan wolken on usa today wrote an article a couple days ago talking about 
the future of the NIT tournament, where Fox, the net, Fox Network, has said, look, we're going to do our own private tournament to compete with the NIT. It's going to include a ton of Big Ten and Big 12, all these teams that didn't make it into the NCAA tournament. We don't care about the mid-majors. We're looking to serve the conferences we cover, and we're going to have our own tournament, NIT. You want to get teams from all these mid-majors that don't generate any money? Fine. We're going to do our own big boy NIT tournament. Now, the concern down the road with that idea is eventually the SEC and Greg Sankey, who hates um, the NCAA and hates small schools and says these guys are just glomming onto all the stuff we do and we bring them all this money and stuff. We're sick of sharing it. They could get together. Petiti from the Big Ten, the ACC guy could get together and say, look, the NCAA tournament, all of these dinky conferences getting bids. Why are we allowing this to happen? We're the power brokers. Forget the NCAA. We're going to get together with Fox and ESPN and CBS, and we're going to do our own March Madness-style tournament That's a possibility because that's exactly what's happening in college football. The powers that be, the power now four teams, which is eventually going to be a power two team, has taken all of the power away from the NCAA. It's all about TV money now. And they're going to say, look, these 12 teams in the college football playoff, you think it's cute to say we're going to have a couple group of five teams? This is Sankey talking now. We don't want any of them. Forget that. We're the ones who are bringing in all the money. We're the ones bringing in all, all the ad revenue. We've got the relationships with the television networks. We're not going to have some Hawaii in the in the 12-team playoff. And that could happen in college basketball eventually. So the sacred cow of March Madness and the NCAA tournament needs to watch out, Larry. It's scary. It's scary. But that could happen. I hope it doesn't. And adding it that 96 teams would be terrible, too. I don't want to see that happen either. But I would I would think about, look, Adam Silver is great. I love what he does with the NBA and all the stuff, and he's trying new things in the in-season tournament. It hasn't really uh, captivated me yet. I don't know if it's captivated you, Larry. No. I don't even know what the heck's going on. But college basketball should mimic that and do a couple of 32-team, you know, auto-bid winner tournaments in December in that two-week period before the bowl system. That's my take on that, Larry. All right, next topic, buddy. Doing a great job so far. What do we got? Letter to the Sport Hole. You can write to the Sport Hole at 900-3776. All right, this is our second letter we're taking uh, this week. You can mail us at 750 West Ridgeview Drive, St. George, Utah, 84770. Letter of the Sport Hole brought to you today by Tink Superior Auto Parts. This is from Morgan. Will an NFL quarterback ever ever take over? Oh, will an NFL quarterback ever take over as the greatest athlete ever? Great question. I don't think so, Morgan. I think domestically, the the greatest American athlete ever will always be an NBA player. And internationally, it'll always be a soccer player. And there's several reasons for this. I mean, Tom Brady's won 
a million Super Bowls. Nobody would consider him the greatest ever compared to MJF, right? And the reason for that is, one, the electric factor of Jordan compared to Brady. Just the high-flying, athletic. You got the winning part, but then you also got he's just an amazing athlete. Brady's got the winning. He doesn't have the amazing athlete part. Two, you've got the the fact that you got LeBron James, but then go down. Go down to uh, Kevin Durant, let's say. An, old, uh, an aged Ke- Kevin Durant is more recognized than the best than Patrick Mahomes. In the country, internationally, you put Kevin Durant's face up next to Patrick Mahomes, who's the biggest star in the NFL, and more people would know Kevin Durant. There's 3.4 million kids ages 13 to 17 who play youth basketball in America. There's only 1.4 million that play football. So this all this all factors into it. You've got the shoe. Nobody cares about merchandise from NFL players. They do care about it still big time in the NBA. The biggest stars sell shoes, and that's something that NFL players don't have the opportunity to do. The other thing that MJF has, even over Brady, even though Brady, Brady's got seven Super Bowls, which is unbelievable, what he had was consecutive titles, two three-peats, the NBA has had the Lakers go for a three-peat in the early 2000s. They did it back-to-back in 09 and 10. You have Golden State, who had back-to-back this century. And I feel like I'm missing one more who had a back-to-back um, championships, Larry. Oh, the Heat, of course. LeBron, right? In 12 and 13, one back-to-back. There hasn't been a back-to-back NFL champion since Brady in 03 and 04. And so having that dominance of back-to-back championships or even a a three in a row is just not possible in the NFL. So Brady had to share his his throne for his whole career with Roethlisberger would win a Super Bowl or Manning would win a Super Bowl or whoever else would win a Super Bowl in the same time of his reign. Whereas when Jordan reigned, He won six titles in a row, right? Nobody was competing with that. So he had a monopoly on championships for so long that that's going to be hard to replicate, especially in the NFL, where every year somebody else is winning. And then Patrick Mahomes has won a couple Super Bowls, but he's not going to win three in a row. He's not going to win six in a row. That's insane. So the idea that that a football quarterback is going to take over at any point over an NBA player, it's too bad. Because I think a quarterback, I mean, what Mahomes does should be considered up there with what the best NBA players are doing and should get the credit for all-time greats and the greatest athlete ever. They're never going to be considered. It's always going to be an NBA guy, which is unfortunate. Anything on, uh, else on that one, Larry? Boxing is dead. You could say a one-on-one sport, the domination. No, I mean, tennis is kind of an American-slash-international sport, so it's diluted. Nobody cares about boxing. UFC fighters' um, dominance is like two and a half. They're like NFL running backs, right? They don't last very long. And, and, and nobody cares about boxing. So it's always going to be an NBA player, just like overseas is going to be a soccer player. Great question. Brady should be considered, but he never will. When ESPN does their all-time great list, it's going to be Jordan. It's going to be Babe Ruth. And it's going to be, you know, Muhammad Ali. Wayne Gretzky is going to be in the top five. And the the football players will, you know, 
be around the top ten. I mean, Brady will be up there. Brady might make the top five, but never number one. Great question. Thanks for writing, Morgan. You can also write us at 900-3776, by the way. All right, next topic. What do you got, Larry? I, I live for radio and then television. And- Podcast of the week. All right, Podcast of the Week is the Pat McAfee Show. McAfee's gotten a lot of buzz over the last few weeks. We've talked about him several times on this show about Utah stuff. He had Utah Jazz owner Ryan Smith on his show today. Go ahead, Lawrence. Well, not as easy as it once was for Michigan State. United Wholesale Mortgage. Another, Yeah, just another mortgage. Yeah, we yeah. love it. We love everything about it. But anyways, whenever you go in there, you were a kid. You grew up in Utah, right? Mm-hmm. Fan of the Utah Jazz. Die hard growing up. I think you told me you used to break into the building to watch Utah Jazz. Yeah, I mean, during the last dance, I remember not having quite enough money to get in. But <laughs> yeah. I figured out how to get in. Yeah, and that was whenever your coach was saying things to Michael Jordan at restaurants the night before? Yeah, there was a lot of there was a lot of discussion that was happening between Michael Jordan and the Jazz fans that year, I remember. <laughs> whether it's <laughs> the pizza, getting sick, oh, yeah. wanting to go to Vegas, like whatever it was. But... Um, the Wi-Fi in the buildings, Jordan pushed off, so I don't know how. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so you. All right. Very good, Lawrence. Love Ryan Smith. Love what he's done with the. He's the. I've said it before. He's the J.J. Abrams of the jazz. J.J. Abrams g- grows up as the biggest Star Wars geek in the world, grows up to make his own movies, and then once he's rich and famous, he says, you know what? George Lucas, I know more about Star Wars than you do. I'm taking it over. I'm buying it from you. And I'm going to bring back all of the stuff I loved about Star Wars when I was a kid. Vader's back. The soundtrack is back. No more crappy CGI. All that stuff. It's going to look like a 1978 Star Wars in the year 2015 or whatever. That's exactly what Ryan Smith has done with the Jazz. With the Delta Center and Purple is back, even though it's not packed. And uh, everything else he's doing. Gotta love Ryan Smith. And when you think of the kind of super involved, young, rich owners in the NBA going back to Cuban, right? who started this trend back in 2000 when he bought the Mavericks and is sitting courtside and is screaming like a fan and involved and all that stuff. Matt Ishby is kind of like that young guy, Phoenix Suns, took over, making moves, being very aggressive, went and got Durant. Steve Ballmer is on the sideline, kind of like Cuban tech guy, one of my favorite guys to watch, passionate for the Clippers, you could maybe put Dan Gilbert in this in that uh, in that same category. Maybe James Dolan for the Knicks too, even though he's not quite the fan that some of these other guys are. Ryan Smith is different than all of these guys because he grew up cheering for the Jazz. None of these other guys grew up. It's not like Balmer grew up cheering for the Clippers or even Cuban with the Mavericks, right? Gilbert was uh, he wasn't from Ohio growing up, so he wasn't a big Cleveland fan. It was just an investment that made sense. He bought a team. Smith is unique in that regard to own his childhood team and has all the memories and all that stuff, which makes him one of the uh, most interesting, unique owners in all of sports. So you can go listen to that full interview he was on with Pat McAfee, talking about the trade of Donovan and Rudy, how hard it was, all that stuff. All right. Last one, Larry. we got to wrap up. What do we got? A no-hitter. If you have a sombrero, throw it to the sky. This day in sports. And he's going to throw it long. And he's got a man there. 
there on the run. Kevin Clay gone. Touchdown. 79 yards for the score. Well, he had 57 yards passing last week. What's going on on the field here? Wait a minute. What was he thinking? Oh, my goodness. The play is under further review. This will be interesting. The side judge was watching it the entire way. Watch Kalen Clay before he crosses the goal line. He drops oh. the ball clearly. What was he thinking? Oh. Ooh. November 8, 2015, Larry. They were they were gonna go up 14-0 against Oregon at home, ended up losing the game. Brutal. All right, quick break. Back with quarterback you right after this in the sport hole. Thanks for being with me. 